0: Leading multi platform storytelling. Welcome to another Story Labs podcast. For more info, go to storylabs.us.
1: Thank you, Gary. <laughs> Uncomfortable, isn't it? So, human nature abhors a story vacuum. So if I had gone on a little longer, you would have started to make up a story about me. You would start to think of what Gary said, then you might look at what I'm wearing, you might look at the fact that I'm bald or my age, and you'll start to fill in the blanks, and you'll kind of wonder what I do in the world and what my universe is. So I'm gonna sort of put us all in the context of we're all storytellers. Every day, out there, someone said, It's it's how you're going, right? (laughs) And that is the question that leads you to tell your story in that moment. So today, I just wanna center on the story. And the truth is, a story world we live in every day of our lives and we want to be part of it. It's how we learn who we are, It's how we pass down information. It's how we learn behavior, or learn good behavior or bad behavior. So I'd like to ask you all to close your eyes for a moment because I'm gonna prove a point to you how well you know story worlds. Keep your eyes closed. When you know what this story world is, I want you to raise your hands.
2: Space,
3: a final frontier.
1: Okay, open your eyes. You know this story, world. Listen carefully. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission, to explore strange
3: new worlds. To seek out new life and new civilizations. To boldly go where no man has gone before.
1: What a frickin' great setup. Talk about setting up a franchise forever. Extending the mission, you know, it's like it's like uh, temporary taxes in the United States, they never are temporary. Um, there's a prime directive, I'm not gonna read that to you, you can go on Wikipedia, but there are rules that govern the story world, and the story world expands. The brilliance of Star Trek, it's at a five year mission, so what are they gonna do? They're gonna find out new worlds, they're gonna go exploring. So the canons of Star Trek, which are the rules of the world, how people behave in the place and with each other, you are familiar with them, whether you're a Trekkie or not. It didn't happen overnight. It kept expanding. So if people come and say, oh, I've got this amazing universe, like Avatar is an amazing universe, and it could go on forever, but I've got this amazing universe, well, the universe starts with a big bang. It starts with the core of a story and basic rules. Now, this one happened to extend to this. Who speaks Klingon here? No one? Do you know what that says? Uh, where do you keep your chocolate? <laughs> these are important phrases because everyone knows where the bathroom is, but if you want your story to continue and you're surviving on chocolate, you better know that. So what's the prime director of a story world? We're going to rock and roll. We're going to start to move faster and faster, so I ask you to take a big after lunch breath and ride with me on this story. So your job as storytellers is to provide opportunities for the audience to participate in ways uniquely meaningful to them while ensuring loyalty to the story and yes, the brand. We're talking about building a story world and giving people the chance to participate in it. By the way, a real world story example, and I hope I'm not being too jingoistic, is the Constitution of the United States. That preamble set up, and the Constitution set up so far 236 years of history. The Constitution is the playing board out of which in the early history, it only played out in America. Now it plays out across the world. Supposedly we play according to the rules, but as with any good fan fiction, you break the rules. So now we have preemptive military strikes. So the idea of what you live inside of the story world, once you're, fans get familiar with the story world, if you touch them, as any storyteller wants to do is move the audience, as you touch them, they'll begin to become part of your story, whether you like it or not, thanks to technology. By the way, this is the greatest cross-platform story ever told. (laughs) So if you wanna know what good multi-platform practice is, you have Father Christmas, you have Santa Claus, you have, oh my God, I don't know what he is in, in, in Scandinavia, but you know, yeah, and you have songs, and then you have lots of traditions, and every country brings their own traditions to the myth. It's based on the mythology, and it continues. So there's some great best practices in Christmas, I'm just saying. Okay, so in, in a multi-platform world, I'm talking about the story being at the center. You heard Lance say story-centric? That's what we're talking about. So what is multi-platform storytelling? It wouldn't exist if there wasn't a great story at the center. So think of story as the hub, and think of distribution and interactivity, and everything you layer on top of it, as multi-platform. We usually prescribe, what we do is we're story world builders. So Tim Kring, or various storytellers will call us and we figure out how the audience is going to play in the story world that the storytellers created. What's your anchor platform? In my case, it's usually television. Um, and by the way, really inspired this week by the participants at the Digital Ignition. I just was blown away. I learned so much. Anyway, very inspiring to be here. So thank you for that opportunity. Participation gateways are the gateways that we open for the audience to come in and play in the world. Story and brand extension, Star Trek. Perfect example and eventually the fans will take ownership of the brand so if you haven't heard about fan fiction it is going to be probably one of the fastest growing areas of content it's just getting bigger and bigger and no one is talking about it and I think if I'm Tim Kring and people are making stories about my stuff then I want to officially sanction a great storyteller and share my revenue with him that's the new model by the way I suggest you go look up Creative Commons and the license under Creative Commons is going to be very important in the next 10 years okay so, I wanna talk about these four levels of conversation between the storyteller and the audience. We did a study on the future of storytelling for Intel Corporation, and my eyes were opened. We interviewed over 30 people, formerly in the storytelling ecosystem, showrunners, content creators, producers, and pattern began to emerge. They were all talking about the same thing, aside from not being able to hold onto their rights. Um, they were talking about the same thing, but they didn't know they were talking about the same thing. So what's the first level? The first level is, here's the story. So since the invention of the the printing press mass media, I tell you my story. The only way I'll know if I'm successful is how many books I sell, how many tickets I sell, or what my ratings are, right? It's basically one way. But technology has changed all that and brought us back. That's why I love the name Campfire, um, for uh, where Brian used to work, because it tells the story of sitting around a campfire. So the first, second level is I'm listening. John Chu, does anyone know John Chu, Step Up, now G.I. Joe 2, Never Say Never, Bieber, and Legion of Story Didn't Answer. John is in constant conversation with his audience. He's not using using data or analytics. He's actually in conversation over Twitter and Facebook, and Justin Bieber sort of introduced him, so now you have all the believers that are John's fans, and then Dwayne The Rock Johnson for G.I. Joe 2. He introduced him, so he got all his fans. John started out with Legion of Extraordinary Dance, I'm gonna just show it really quickly, Um, on an online dance-off, where a bunch of dancers challenged Britney Spears to a dance-off. And what John realized was there was a huge community of dancers on the internet, and all producing user-generated content. Why couldn't he create a mythology around that for them? And so he created dancing superheroes, and the only power they have is the ability to dance. This is Legion of Extraordinary Dancers. Oops. This was shot on red, no special effects. This is what happens. This is what happens when you go to USC film school. So this was produced um, in short segments, short episodes of six minutes or eight minutes, eventually combined into 90 minutes. First debuted on the web was picked up by Hulu, then distributed around the world as a 90-minute television special or 90-minute feature. very low cost, and it's now entering its third season. There's a live stage show, and if you've seen the commercial for the Microsoft Surface, those are LXD dancers. Okay, I'll leave that there. Okay, the next one is welcome to my world. I'm hopefully you had heroes down here. Heroes really broke ground and set up best practices. This video speaks for itself. So I'm just gonna play it. This is about the context of how the audience becomes involved with the property. By the way, we don't force things upon audiences. We We basically do our research much the same way Laurel laid out for you and Lance laid out for you, and we figure out where they are, so we go to where the audience lives, we give them something to play with, and then we watch them, and they basically tell us what they want.
4: The whole idea of television show used to be this idea of a one-way street where we would create the content and push it one way to the audience. Now, with a show like Heroes, there are multiple ways to find it. NBC.com's there. Facebook page, comics, webisodes, a Twitter account, iTunes and Hulu, the fan boards,
2: flash games, the graphic novels,
0: Easter eggs hidden in Ninth Wonders. There are all these really
4: cool like satellites that you can check out, can go up and it can go down and it can go sideways. It's really where TV is going.
5: Every so often, these trappings can be quite fruitful. People
4: seem to be on their phones a lot. People seem to be in their email boxes a lot. We've decided
2: to embrace that in a real way and tell story where they are. The heroes fans. Didn't need any prompting at all. Anytime we introduce something new, immediately they would pick up on it and run with it.
4: Anything that allows them to feel as if they're part of the show,
6: they're all about. You have an audience that's going online, looking up all this extra information about your
3: characters. Obviously, no show can show every angle of what's happening over the course of the story but the new media gives just give us a chance to really fill in the Now blanket. watch
1: how the story and world is maintained really consistently, kind of the brand.
4: in my head at the way I look at, at storytelling. We have a new media department that is based here in our production offices, and that department really has to be a liaison between the writers' room and the directors on the show to the dot-com division of NBC where there are 50 or 60 people that are working on our content that's online. NBC.com handles all the IT, and then we'll have our writer and the show's writers will work together and they'll come up with the creative content. It's really the audience knowing that what they are receiving out there is actually coming from the creative forces of the show.
2: One of the best things I think about interactive or new media is that it's easily measurable.
0: We can actually listen to fans. Uh, what they like what they don't like. You get responses so quickly. Write a comic a month later, the artwork and everything's done and it's online and you're getting fan reactions to it. Those things really help us push to what we want to do.
2: A graphic novel, for example, we can see exactly how many people downloaded We can see how many people viewed it. And that's what caused us instead of doing one a month, we went up to once a week because they were loving it.
4: I think our graphic novels fit so perfectly with the concept of the show.
2: We bring in designers and illustrators, and it's really an interesting blend, and those worlds come together.
7: The writers, they're really growing in the way that they're using the comics. They first started using them to tell in-between stories, and then they started telling ongoing parallel narratives.
4: A classic example in the fourth season is when uh, Ali Larder went to do a movie and missed several episodes filming with us, but her character sort of continued on in a storyline on the graphic novels until she comes back at the end
0: of the season. What we thought we would do was was kind of explain where she went. There's
5: something I'm going to ask of you, Tracy.
0: At the same time, we were going to introduce a character by the name of Eli, and we want to explain where he came from. So it was a good way for Tracy and Eli to clash. Howie Kaplan came into the fold at this time, and I thought he'd be really good to help me write this. I was
3: like, yes, I would like to. I'll give that a shot. Sure, well, I've only read 17 gazillion comics in my life. I'll try writing one. It was a three-parter. Foz wrote the first two issues. I wrote the third issue.
0: We just really wanted to show her using her powers in as, as many ways as possible.
3: I got to write stuff for the artist to draw. Like, Tracy flies through the air and shoots these spikes, you know, embedding them in thousands of Eli's, and hundreds more come out,
0: and bob her. She throws ice dark. She stabs some guy through the chest. a wave kills 70 or 80.
3: So we have to write these, like, epic fight scenes that would just be too hard to shoot and realize. So she sent Eli off to the carnival, and then in the next episode of Heroes, there's Eli. So the multiplier character was actually introduced in the comics before he was introduced in the series itself.
4: The graphic novel is a huge undertaking. Our episodes air Monday night. On Tuesday morning, we launch our graphic novel.
0: The whole process would take probably about a month.
6: Basically, you're writing out, you know, what the panels are going to look like, what the character's going to say, but you're kind of directing it to your, like, close-up of this character, side shot of that character, send it to the art house, and then you get layouts back where they drawn. You start to see the sketches of
7: what you describe. With someone like Jason, we luck out. He's created so many amazing stories. Roadkill, some Quads some Death of Hannah Goodleman, the Vietnam series, Into the Wild Root and Branch. I've, I've, I've done a lot of them. The first thing I do is I'll, I'll have a read through it. Then I'll sit down and I'll start doing some layouts and make sure that the storytelling is key. I think it's really important for fans to be able to take off where the show finished and start the graphic novel with that touch point that looks identical to where. Where they where they left off on the show. The audience for the Heroes' Graph novels are people that watch TV. Their frame is always wider than it is taller, so I try and keep the same aspect ratio as I draw my panels. Being a fan of the show, I really try and study... People's body language, like, Mohinder Suresh is totally different body language to Scylla. And if I drew them the same way, people, you know, I, I would be undermining both those characters. So it's really important for me to really get into their headspace, and then hand it off to the guys to see, uh, to see what they think. His style looks more like a painting. With his partner, Annette Kwak, who does the colors, they've just done some of the best work I've seen. I see just how passionate everybody is about it, how professional everybody is. And I wouldn't be doing them justice if I didn't do the same myself. At the end of this season will be at about 180, and it only
0: happens because the fans are so into it.
2: <laughs> Web series, it's a huge team. We would start from scratch with writers, with directors, with a full crew, casting, using a character, and blow out their storyline.
0: Slowburn dealt with the carnival and the tattooed lady, Lydia. We went through the casting process, and they found a brilliant actress to play Amanda.
6: This is incredible.
0: We knew we had a star in our hands, and she started showing up on the actual Heroes episodes. The show would have a little act break.
1: Is this the night that Joseph gets murdered?
3: I don't know,
0: but it is very dangerous to be
6: here. we go right to a scene. And now, Slowburn. She's family, isn't she? And after the little 30-second segment, it says, for more, go to nbc.com heroes. And you'd go to it, and then you watch the next minute. It
2: is dangerous here. I am trying to protect you.
6: Well, <laughs> When you're watching the show, you go, oh, man, that scene plays with a lot more subtext.
0: You could see just by the looks those two uh, women give each other that there's some kind of conflict. And if you wanted to really know what the story was on that, you could check it out online.
6: Episodes one through four, we had cuts of. So we'd say, all right, well, I know where this spill pod's going to go, so this is what this gonna be about. But then we kept going and we were like, we haven't seen a script for you know nine or ten yet. And so we had to sit with the writers and say, is it possible for us to get her in this episode? Can you just give us a thumbs up? And they actually really kind of worked with us. I mean, it's, it was a really cool, fun, kind of challenging thing to do.
0: People love this
6: character of Eric Doyle, the puppet master. We brought him into the new media world. Just shut and created this, you know, four little episode arc for him. I like your skin.
7: I'm a
0: puppeteer.
5: What, like you make dolls talk?
6: And then, this season, we got the opportunity of saying we have this carnival. Wouldn't it be great if he gets pulled back in, which we told through some graphic novels? I did Starting Over, and it fills
2: in how Doyle ended up at the Sullivan Brothers' carnival.
6: So we had this really cool
2: three-tier story. C- content online isn't just video.
4: We have a survival game where fans can actually create their own characters.
2: At every episode on the air, they answered questions online, and that's what they had to do to keep this particular homegrown hero alive. We also have the I-Story. It is basically a create-your-own-adventure that fans can follow. This year with the carnival, we actually created some online casual flash games. All of a sudden, those took off. We started embedding clues.
0: End of season three, Twitter of exploded.
3: There are a lot of super fans on Twitter and they take it to a whole new level. There's people on there who will tweet in character as their favorite character and they'll have on their Twitter account, I tweet as Elle Bishop prior to her being killed by this guy or shot
0: by that guy. These are all people who just follow the show.
3: There's one guy who's, I guess, the best siler. If you can get interaction with him, it like reflects well on you. You're the L bishop who's talking to the best silent. <laughs> but we kind of really uh, tapped into that in a cool way this year by running a Twitter account for the, the Sullivan Brothers Carnival, which I run. So I tweet in character as the Carnival. For a while I didn't believe that I was really from the show. So we started sending pictures
0: that clearly no. Fan could get so they knew that I was legit. We started hiding things and asking questions and doing trivia and giving out prizes and people responded to it Really well.
3: They we keep asking who's really behind this Twitter. So I guess this is me coming out the closet as that if anybody's watching the interviews I'm the guy
4: <laughs> If You need to know anything about heroes. It's on Heroes Wiki. Totally.
1: (laughs) Everyone on the show uses that. We
4: looked something up just today. We needed to double check Claire's phone number. I mean, the second that the episode airs, the website is updated.
6: What happened to this character in my story? Is this going to violate that thing? No. Yeah. I was like, I'm pretty sure we've said it in dialogue.
1: Uh, I don't remember. It's a lot of balls in the air, so we use the fans to help us out. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to stop it there. So I just want to point something out. When Ruth Harley spoke this morning she said that uh, she spoke of silos and that maybe the silos were not as as delineated here as they are say in the United States but I want to point out that the silos were broken down in the interest of story here and that the story world rules were really well defined as was the vision of Tim Crane so they had enough to work with so everybody knew the rules of the game so when you put everybody in the writers room together it was cooperative okay who knows what slash fiction is well Okay, so slash fiction is fan fiction, meaning the fans taking the characters and the sense of place. And in this case, slash fiction is putting two characters that are of the same sex in a relationship, in a sexual relationship together. So that was kind of the the birth of fan fiction. Now it's extended into alternate universes where you take the characters out of where the storytellers put them and put them back in, you know, like today, you just take a bunch of people and put them back in the 18th century, but they still behave according to the rules of the story world. Anyone familiar with supernatural? Supernatural? Okay, so this is the fourth level of the conversation, which is take it, it's yours, or in some cases, the fans just steal it, which means they're so involved in your world, they become fanatical, that they take it over. And this happened with Mad Men. I don't know if you heard the scandal of Mad Men where the audience was tweeting as the characters, and then the network shut them down for 24 hours. It was a public relations nightmare, and they had to open it back up and let the fans tweet as the characters. It is a great honor. It's like, what is it, um... Oh, it's not sarcasm, it's the satire is the serious form of flattery. If your fans are taking on your characters and they're creating you have succeeded in your job. So, Eric Kripke created canon for Supernatural, but the fans created some canon as well. And Eric was watching them and he grabbed a piece of fan canon and made it official canon. And the fans went nuts. By the way, that is now called in the trade pulling a Kripke. So 50% of the fans love that he noticed the, him, them. Oh, he sees us. And the other were like, he stole our stuff. So I just want to show you, even if you don't know Supernatural, you see how Eric Kripke and Mick G, the, the director-producer, are tipping their hats to the fan. I knew it. You guys are LARPing, aren't you? Excuse me? You're fans. Fans of what? What is LARPing? Like you don't know. Live-action role-playing pretty hardcore, too. Sorry, I have no idea what you're talking about. You're asking questions like the building's haunted, like those guys from the books. What are they called? Uh, supernatural. Two guys use fake IDs with rock aliases, hunt down ghosts, demons, vampires. What are their names? Uh, Steve and Dirk? Uh, Sal and Dane? Sam and Dean. That's it. You're saying this is a book? Books. It was a series. Didn't sell a lot of copies, though. Kind of had more of an underground cult following. Okay. So let's review. First, here's the story, general broadcast model. Second, I'm listening, John Chu, who likes to keep control of the story. He says, if I want to open the doors, I want to open the doors, I don't want the fans to. Third level, my world, and welcome to it, or welcome to my world, that's Tim Crane. That's where the storyteller is still in control, but they create the playground from the user. Fourth level, take it, it's yours. So when we did conspiracy for good, we put it all together. And though it says it's an ARG, this was our award submission and we actually did win at Banff. So, um, two. So, um, the thing here is that, um, we told us a linear story first, then let the fans in to get them involved and moved into a quasi ARG and then actually moved onto the streets of London. So you'll see it here.
5: In the spring of 2010, London witnessed the global launch of the Conspiracy for Good, a radical new form of entertainment called social benefit storytelling, which allowed people's participation in insider story to do real good in the real world. Powered by Nokia, the producers designed the most ambitious multi-platform narrative ever seen, engaging a crew of over 130 people in five countries to create a story that lived all around the participants all the time. It all started with a three-month-long alternate reality game that included website discoveries, puzzles, tweets, and text messages, all enhanced by three mobile games created specifically to advance the story. And on July the 17th, the story burst from the web and onto the streets of London, culminating in four weeks of real-world gameplay in live theatre that would forever change the definition of audience participation. And this is the story they told.
2: Where are you running? Are you Rows and rows of silent stones In the
5: cemetery. in 2010 recording artist nadira x put her career on hold to teach school in africa where she planned to build a new library for her students i always spoke
2: from the heart set hypocrisy apart
5: however the library was never built the books shipped from london mysteriously go missing
4: we have very firm
1: ideas the real CEO became a the character main suspect in the story, is
5: multinational Blackwell Bricks, who plans to build an oil pipeline directly through the village. Can I get 5
2: minutes of his time?
5: Vidara turned to her friend, David Nusofu, a local employee of the British company. He promised her and the school kids that he would go to headquarters to save the library. But all that remains of his ill-fated London visit is a series of videos of him running for his life through the streets. And then... he disappeared. Where did he go? And what did he know? To search for David and help Nadira build her library, conspiracyforgood.com was launched. Participants congregated to the site some even becoming characters within the narrative themselves, to chat and share clues, decode documents, and decipher music. Critical pieces of the mission were solved. Map coordinates led to Nadira school, which was in Chaitaika village, eastern Zambia. Deciphered songs led to Room to Read, which agreed to build a library in Chaitaika. People even adopted the conspiracy's logo, selling merchandise to benefit the cause. Three cell phone games released important hacking tools to play the game, and were downloaded one million times around the world. With them, participants hacked the servers at BlackwellBricks.com and quickly learned of the company's illegal activities. But only one person held the final silver bullet that could bring down the company, Nadira. Across 20 episodes, participants located Madeira in Zambia convinced her to travel to London to complete David's mission. The conspiracy used OV Maps to guide her the entire distance to Tower Bridge, where she was greeted by fans, but also Blackwell-Briggs agents, eager to stop anyone helping her. In London, the action arrived. Whatever happens today
4: will be the end of this chapter or fight. <laughs> We're far beyond enemy lines.
5: Over four consecutive Saturdays, participants helped Nadira follow David's trail through the city using Nokia's revolutionary mobile technology called Point and Find, which picked up digital tags hidden in art and graffiti. These tags opened an image or a video in their phone which led to the next spot in the city. Suddenly the streets of London were a treasure trove of hidden clues and messages. Because agents surveyed the participants every day, Twitter was the communication form of choice, and flash mobs were created to divert the agents and complete important actions. A hostage handover was negotiated, a headquarters established, and caches of supplies discovered. And on August the 7th, Ian Briggs was toppled at his very own press conference, infiltrated by Nadira herself, and the conspiracy for good.
2: I just want to say thank you to everyone for your support. Because of you, Room 3 will be the
6: library of 450 students in
2: Chatea Village.
1: Stop that there. So we, uh, the Conspiracy for Good has existed since 100 AD in Mosul. And I don't know who in this room is a member or who isn't, but we exist. I'm sorry, it exists. And and you'll hear more from the Conspiracy for Good because we're like a sleeper cell, so we're not done yet. Um, So what are the jobs? Oh, by the way, Nokia and Room to Read, we were all in the writer's room together. Um, And who wants to know how much it cost? Oh, not enough for you wanna know. Who wants to know how much it costs? Six million. Okay, and that was 150 people working in four countries. So what are your jobs as a storyteller? Where your first job is gonna be maintain the integrity of the story world. Because if you don't, then you get a situation like Avatar The Game, where it doesn't live up to the true world that you've created. Your job as a storyteller, business person, technologist, entrepreneur, marketer, game designer, social media manager, brand manager, you should at least try and understand a little bit of these things. Um, what our company does is we sit right below the storyteller, so I say we're like chief integration officers. We do the strategy, then we manage the vendors that come in to do this. So thanks to, uh, meeting up with the other mentors, I think I'm gonna probably be keeping several of them, including Miss Pepworth, very busy. Um, then, what's the job of the audience? Well they're your collaborators, we heard that already today. They're your guardians, we saw the wiki that was maintained by the fans. They're your storytellers, they're gonna write fan fiction. They're the influencers, you heard enough about that today, and they're the flag bearers. They will go out and rave about your story world. Okay, Um, Gunther talked about data. I'm just here standing up for storytellers saying that if I'm Tim Kring and I've got 65 million fans around the world and the next thing I do means they're gonna come and they're gonna interact with my story because if there wasn't story, there would be nothing then the storyteller, the content rights creator, needs to be earning money from the data because everyone else is. So I just, I'm just, I just put that out as an activist in every conference I go to. Um, and now you see automated data, Gunther's the expert on this, but we're trying to find out, I worked on a project where everything was gonna be about the sentiment index. It was the only way we were gonna be able to tell the story of the fans who were involved was by gauging their sentiment and focusing on the stories that rose to the top. Okay. Uh, There's a new ecosystem emerging, and I just want to point it out to you and give you something to think about. Storytellers want to keep their rights, but if the studios and the networks aren't paying for it, or in this case, Screen Australia, um, who will? Well, We now know the funding is coming from technology companies and brands that allow the storytellers to keep their IP. Technology companies need content to populate and prove their platforms. Brands need to be integrated, like Nokia was, into a story. We call that brand as character. It's not product placement. It's not product integration. It's brand as character. Distributors. I say that we say the future is going to be Netflix meets Evernote. So everybody's chasing Chasing distribution right now, but once you activate that IP layer, then your story world is active and interactive, and it will be coming from the cloud, just like Evernote and Netflix, and therefore a persistent experience. I'm sorry, I'm popping so many P's. A persistent experience across multiple platforms, and so this is what we this is what we do now. We sit in the middle, so there's a new style of packager, which is part of what our company does. Which is we know the technology companies and what they're looking for in terms of content. We know the brands. Dolby just gave us a criteria for who they're looking for to partner with. So now we know that there's more funding available on either side. And finally, this is Marshall McLuhan. Does anyone know who Marshall McLuhan is, was? A lot of people thought this man was a maniac. Listen to this.
0: Yes, we're re-tribalizing. Involuntarily, we're getting rid of individualism. We're in a process of making a tribe. For just as books and their private point of view are being replaced by the new media, so the concepts which underlie our actions, our social life, are changing. We are no longer so concerned with self-definition, with finding our own individual way. Uh, what the grou- We're more concerned with what the group knows, of feeling as it does, of acting with it, not apart from it.
1: 1964, he saw Facebook. And that's it. I'm happy to answer your questions. And Gary, I can't believe I came in on time. <laughs> I'm notorious for running late, so.
7: That's, that's great, Brian. Um, just just set us up for the tea break, but I'll hand over to the mic. Any questions? Mike's got the mic.
1: I am an open book, <laughs> Brian, so I'll tell you how much things cost. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to know your name and what you do, when, context, story.
4: Okay, um, My name's Michael, I'm actually I'm a writer so I'm, I'm writing a film at the moment but when I look at all this one of the things being someone who's still unknown and, and you're putting stuff out there just how easy it would be to steal your ideas and, and lose your IP with all these people doing this stuff because I'm not attached to anyone big to be able to protect me or you know, to be they're able to get it moving to as quickly. <laughs> they're
1: yet going to it. steal your IP, right. that's just it. I mean we live in an open source universe right now But if you do your job as a writer and you create a really good story world with really compelling characters, they're going to take it anyway. And that's the sincerest form of flattery. The question that comes after that is how you monetize it. Like the music industry was like, well, now we can't monetize the music, so you have to monetize everything around it. So you really have to think of new business models that are possible, like sanctioning fan fiction. But you do your job as a writer you won't have to worry about people stealing your IP. They will come in and they will support your IP by stealing it. The, your audience will be the best marketers you could ever hope for. Right, Laurel? <laughs> okay. if, they, if, they, if you hit. <laughs> All right, thanks. Uh-huh. You got one up there as well. Okay. Sorry, I won't forget
8: you. <laughs> Hello. Uh, I, I'm Ian, and I'm an animation director. But uh, uh, for my day job, I teach at uh, visual effects at a film school. Um, I'm going to try and uh, like contain this story uh, into a smaller capsule as I can. But um, uh, every year, we do a, a, a major project, and it's based on an existing IP as a visual effects project just for the students. We did one on Tomb Raider, the next year, we did one on Pirates of the Caribbean. And uh, this year, we were going to do one... I can't tell you, I've been sworn to secrecy. Uh, But uh, we were halfway through it, and the Hollywood studio that owned the IP uh, came in in with the lawyers and told us to cease and desist. And I'd just love to, to hear your perspective on... Because it seemed to me that we were doing a, a marketer's dream.
1: Yeah, really. not everybody's. I mean, no, you know, and, and but, but Brian Kane yeah. talked about the entertainment lawyer. Not everybody's going to be open to that. Uh, yeah. Warner Brothers tried to sue people for using Batman content, you yeah. know.
8: Well, I, I can't tell you the studio, but uh, it probably wasn't Warner Brothers. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, one day Disney will get over itself. Yeah. But yeah. The,
8: but the, But the point
1: is, is that if you weren't an institution and you were just a user, you might have gotten a little bit further, Mm. but it's different. I mean, this is the wild frontier. So there's a professor at Stanford, Roger Knoll, who said it is never the incumbents that reinvent that, that invent the new business models. That's why Apple reinvented the music industry and the music industry didn't do it itself. Mm-hmm. So you're in this rough frontier right now and people wanna hold on to what they've got. They don't realize that in the whole reason the world is so split in the way we are is because people get, they shut down and they get really possessive of intellectual property. But the new storytellers that are coming up like Smosh and Alloy, and, and Alloy Entertainment who owns them, they're very keen to have everybody take their content and use it, so they understand that, but you're probably dealing very old school right
7: now.
8: It seems very, very old school. Thank
1: you. You're welcome.
7: Can I just ask a quick question? As long as we
1: don't forget this this person right here. sorry,
6: sorry. Um, I'm Gina, I'm a writer. What is the long- say that with pride I am I am and I, I'm, I'm a writer championing the storyteller. What's the longevity for a project like that because with which tradi- project
1: conspiracy for good Yeah
6: because with traditional film form you've got your back end with with
1: right so we set yeah. it up our next step if all goes according to plan is an eight episode international co-production that introduces eight separate characters that come together in the mythology in the 70s their parents were all murdered they anonymized the children before they died. And now Conspiracy for Good has to come back to life. One adult survived. The kids are 26 now. And so they're alerting them. But the mythology is really rich and deep. It goes all the way back to Mosul. And it's set up like a sleeper cell. Actually, I say we're Al-Qaeda for Good. But it's set up like a sleeper cell because we can alert it. And people are already there. I have an alert for Conspiracy for Good. And people are taking the logo and they're taking stuff and they're doing their own projects right now, which is exactly what we envisioned. So you know, if you create a great mythology, it can go on forever. We were talking about that this morning. I was sitting next to Laurel, and we were talking about the life of a project, because Lance, you know, has closed end because they're physical, but ours, we're not going to do another street thing again, not if we can help it, um, but we are moving on to a much greater story world, so and there's all sorts of things. We have a thing working on called change up where you'll be able to use your mobile phone to Use your change from a transaction to donate to a cause, which and the Conspiracy for Good logo will become a seal of approval. So much the way you see Facebook and stuff on doors of stores, you'll see the Conspiracy for Good logo, which means this is a good corporate citizen. So it's a much larger mythology than than we often talk about.
5: Hi there. Um, I'm Donna. I'm a a digital producer. Um, uh, Soon
1: you'll have to drop that word.
5: Sure. Not producer, okay. Yeah. digital. Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, with the conspiracy for good, and and you mentioned that Nokia were in that storytelling hub yes. from the get go. Who drove that initial relationship? Was it the Tim. the NGO? Was it
1: Tim? Tim. The so creator? Tim, we decided Nokia wanted to partner with Tim. Tim said, Here's what I care about, oh. and we said to Nokia, What's the cause that you care about? Because we had we took, pulled our budget from. Nokia Software and Services, Nokia um, Marketing, and Nokia Corporate Social Responsibility. So those three came together inside of Nokia to fund this. And they said, we're about literacy. So we wanna do something about literacy. So Bob Soderstrom is executive producer. He turned around and he contacted Room to Read and we give books and we said look, we know you have a basic problem as an NGO telling people what you do. Come and tell your story inside of our story and that's why John Wood was a character in our story. So it it was really innovative. I have to say that uh, there were probably, uh, there were a lot of sleepless nights for me. I, I, I was terrified that the whole thing would just crash and burn. And then we woke up uh, like a week after it was all done and we said, oh my God, this is a best practice. This is a best practice. We actually stumbled on the future by accident.
5: Uh, if I can follow up. Sure. Um, so you're, you're, you're sitting in a room with uh, a brand who, who ostensibly they, they want to advertise here. Was there any conflict between... Um,
1: no. So concerned about the, it? the only reason Nokia was on the front is because we had to identify for the awards... So we had to identify. But Nokia said, look, we want to promote the OV store. We'll build applications that are specific to what you need in the OV store. So there was this informed collaboration between the technologists and us. And, and basically, they just wanted people to have an experience of Nokia Maps, which was OV Maps. And so they kind of said, here's what we'd like you to use. And then if you need us to invent some apps, we'll do that for you too. It was really, they were really brilliant in the way they kind of let it roll. Because they knew they wanted to explore, and every electronics, Brand now, Samsung, and we worked for Intel for two years uh, filling a content pipeline for them to invest in. You know, they all want to tell their stories. All brands know that they have to be storytellers now, too. So, I guess this would be the last one. Oh, okay. Actually, I mean, we can talk about that over coffee, but it was, uh, we learned a lot. There were a lot of best practices. Um, we actually had an initial production company who the guy thought that it was his vision and not Tim's. So we had to rein them in, and uh, we had to do cost control and all that stuff. And uh, we've now decided that we would be more inclined to produce from Los Angeles and, and or either relocate because it was time zones, everything was really... It was really challenging. And the the thing about Conspiracy for Good is most of the people dropped their ego at the door when they came in. But some people didn't. And those were the problems. But we ended up solving them all. So it it was learning a new way to manage creatives. That was essentially it. And in the end, it worked. And no one killed each other. And no one killed themselves. So, Yes?
7: Just one more question. Hi, I'm Leone. I'm a writer. I was just wondering about the the money that built the libraries, did that come from the public or was that part of your initial budget? So
1: Nokia Corporate Social Responsibility, Room to Read told us what the budget would be in order to build and stock these libraries. We Give Books was a separate initiative and there was also, we had a medical initiative as well, but we already had that money set aside from corporate social responsibility, but then people started to take the logo and sell merchandise and donate that merchandise. We also worked with Indaba Music, so people actually created music, not the scoring that you heard, but a theme song. We had a contest for that. We found a million different ways to be involved and to get into the influencer community. So, And I just have one other thing to say, because I never, I, I usually show all the work I wish I'd done that I really respect, So, but I actually have a book out, which is Hold the Book, and Um, I'll let you go to the site and figure it out for yourself. It has nothing to do with what I do day to day and everything to do with what I do day to day. So thank you for having me. (laughs)
5: Leading multi platform storytelling.
0: Welcome to another Story Labs podcast. For more info, go to
5: storylabs.us.